Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. My grandma was... was dying in the hospital. We're in the elevator in the hospital going up to my grandma's floor and he looks me up and down and just goes, looks like you gained some weight. And I was like, I looked my, at my body. I was like, yeah, dad, I have. You know what it was? Oh, wow. I know he's not meaning to do it, to be critical or me. He's not thinking like, how can I hurt her and be judgmental and be rude? It's just how my people are, right? My Chinese culture is. And so he's just doing what his parents did to him. And then with me, I noticed that I carried on my parents' voice even when I left the home. And which is that constant criticism and this this like spotlight on every little thing that I do and making sure that it's perfect and of the highest standard. And, and if it's not, then being very judgmental and again, hypercritical of those things. So I carry on their voice until I decide to choose my own voice for myself and how I want to actually speak to myself. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls. And the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you. What makes you the absolutely unique human 
that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story, what happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hello, my beautiful friends. Do you dissociate or have you ever wondered what it's like to dissociate? It's a topic I've always found fascinating and so I wanted to put something together to give you an insight into what it means to dissociate and how you can tell when you are dissociating. This new blog post is called 15 Clear Ways to Recognize You Are Dissociating. The link is in the show notes. You will often hear me say that I get to speak to the most incredible humans on the planet. And that's not just some line that I've come up with. People who have been through trauma and have the consciousness to take themselves on a healing journey are truly extraordinary souls. These are the teachers and the change makers. These souls are here for a reason and a purpose, and they are fulfilling that purpose and actively trying to make the world a better place. Maybe this is you too. Maybe that's why you're here listening to this podcast. These healers have done the hard yards and the tears and the pain, and they are evolved enough to want you to have a better experience too. And that is pretty incredible in my books. Stephanie Kwong is one such soul. Stephanie grew up in a family with strong Chinese values. In Chinese culture, how much you achieve, how hard you work determines your value. How you appear to the outside world is important. Your emotions should always be kept on the inside. You should appear strong and happy. And that is a suffocating way to live. As kids, we listen to these values, we absorb them, and they become who we are. They become the voice inside our head telling us we're never, ever enough until we decide to replace that voice with our own voice, our own values. Stephanie Kwong has been on a journey to do just that. She is now the CEO and co-founder of the Rapid Rewire Method, and she is doing really important work in helping people to heal from their trauma rapidly. The Rapid Rewire Method is changing many, many lives. Please join me now for Stephanie's story. Stephanie Kwong, welcome to the podcast. You are a rapid transformational life coach and you love to help people who are stuck and full of self-doubt to break through the mental roadblocks and negative thought patterns that are holding them back. You are the CEO and co-founder of the Rapid Rewire Method where you teach transformational tools that can quickly dissolve and integrate emotional turmoil, limiting beliefs and trauma in less than one hour. It sounds Fascinating, and we're going to dive into the rapid rewire method a little bit later. Let's delve a little bit into your own story first. And you describe experiencing some deep loneliness during your childhood. Can you share a bit about how that was unfolding for you as a small child? Yeah. So, you know, I 
am blessed to have two immigrant parents. And sometimes when you get the blessings, it also comes with the challenge. And, you know, what my, my dad was sent here when he was 17. He was the firstborn son of eight kids. And that's big for Chinese when you're the first son. And so he was sent here when he was 17 to basically figure out life here in the Americas to sponsor his whole entire family over. He didn't speak the language. He didn't have much money. He didn't have any connections in the US. And so what he did was he dove into figuring it out and working. And a lot of our Asian culture, the significance comes from your achievements. Your worth comes from your achievements. Or so that's the misguided beliefs that we take on because it's just part of our culture. You know, it's like work hard. And then how much money do you have that equals happiness? How much have you done? This person's going to Stanford. Where are you going? You know, this person has this job. What are you doing? So it's always this constant comparison and a state of needing to achieve. And so my dad was indoctrinated into that, obviously, from being a Chinese male, also being forced into as a kid. My mom, same thing. And so as a child, not only I was indoctrinated that well, and that was part of my healing journey is to break loose of my achievements equal my worth. However, as a child, you know, they worked hard and they worked a lot. And so a lot of my time was spent by myself or with my brother. You know, I remember waking up in the morning. My mom was a phlebotomist. She worked at Kaiser and her shift started at 6 a.m. And so she would come into my bedroom, give me a kiss on the forehead and say, you know, there's a chicken pot pie ready in the oven. It should be ready by the time you wake up. And that was my breakfast. <laughs> chicken pot pies or pizza rolls or Elena's burritos that we'd cook in the microwave. Really terrible diet, but you know, <laughs> it's just what we did back then. And and so my mom would leave, my dad would already be gone working and I would wake up to an empty house again, just with my brother, but no parents there and would pack up our lunches and eat our breakfast and walk to the bus stop and get ourselves to school. And when we come home, it was kind of similar. There wasn't, they weren't always there right when we got home. And so a lot of time was spent solo or learning how to nurture myself. And it's fascinating because I was working with a spiritual teacher and in one of the processes he was doing, he said, you know, your soul chose the parents that would require you to learn how to parent yourself. I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood and a lot of my friends had their parents coming to all their games that they played. And, you know, at lunch, they would open up their lunch and they have a note from their parents. And so when I used to pack my own lunches as a kid, I would write myself notes on a napkin to myself from my mom and put them in my lunch so that when I got to school, I would also have that. So I actually realized when my spiritual teacher said you had to learn how to parent yourself, I was like, wow. I was already doing self-love practices essentially when I was a kid and learning how to, yeah, just be my own parent in a way. Something that is unfortunate if a child has to learn at a very young age. Mm-hmm. However, again, if that's what my soul chose in order to grow in this lifetime, what it's meant to evolve into, that's exactly again what happened. So Yeah. Oh, I love that you I mean it's so sad isn't it that you had to write these notes to yourself but also like you say it is self-love if no one else is going to give it to me I'm giving it to me and that's that's a pretty cool thing for a little kid to figure out and when your parents are physically not there there's really like an emotional 
deficit as well. There's no connection. There's no care and love. How did that affect your mental health, do you think, when you were a little kid? Yeah, you know, I mean, I had a lot of feelings of loneliness. And even, you know, as a child, you don't know what's actually happening. We are making up stories about what we think is happening based on the very little bits of details that we know. I'm not realizing, you know, what my parents' lifestyle is and why they're working so hard to provide for my brother and I. What I'm seeing is parents aren't here. Huh. When I wake up, my mom leaves, you know, when I come home, they're still not here. Oh, that must mean that I'm not good enough. Oh, that must mean I'm not lovable enough for them to be here and to be Mm -hmm. around enough for me. Right. So it's unfortunate that kids, our prefrontal cortex isn't formed yet our ability to have logic reasoning analyzation skills we're literally just little sponges taking in the world from whatever people tell us but we're also making up stories that are inaccurate as a kid based on the very little bits of facts that we have and many times you know the core wounds are you know i'm not lovable i'm not enough i don't belong or i'm not worthy and i i feel like i took on pretty much all of those <laughs> as a kid when My parents weren't there. Again, not true. And their ways of expressing love was very different. It was providing, right? It was my mom making sure she came in to tell me, hey, I got that chicken pot pie in there to make sure you have breakfast when you wake up. But as a kid, that's not computing for me. And so I think a lot of these core wounding of feeling not great within who I am kind of formed in my unconscious mind. And that has been my journey over a long period of time to really dissolve those and to rewrite the stories of what is truth, right? Not what it is that my little kid believed and I carried on to my adult life until I started doing the inner work to heal. But that was really how it impacted me. And it's, you know, it's been quite the journey to release those stories because when you've, I've held them on for so long, they just feel true, even though they're not. And now that's not what I believe anymore, but for a long time I did. And it really impacted my decisions that I made, you know, the people that I attracted into my life, the support and probably the love too, that I actually pushed away because I didn't feel worthy and deserving of it because we will always act in alignment with what we believe. Right. And so if I believe that I wasn't worthy of love, if I believe that I wasn't enough, et cetera, I would start to create those behaviors to keep proving myself right about those beliefs. Unconsciously, I would do it, but I would do it. Yeah, absolutely. And it is so unconscious, isn't it? Like it's, we just think, oh, that's who we are. I don't need that person or I'm not going to get involved with this or that. It's, it's really just you putting up so many boundaries, I think, to stop any kind of connection because you don't feel like you're worthy and you don't know any of that's really going on when, when you're younger. I think you talk about getting into that perfectionist kind of thing where you're just trying to prove then that you're kind of a good enough person. How did that perfectionism show up? Woo, let me tell you, perfectionism, it is a nasty trap. I know that some people might say like, ooh, I'm a perfectionist and wear it like a badge of honor, right? Because it to them, maybe it symbolizes, ooh, I have high standards or I, I really, to me, that's excellence is high standards. But perfectionism, again, when this got broken down to me, when I was in my hypnosis training, my teacher said it was a whole thing about perfectionism. She goes, do you know what the underlying belief is for a perfectionist? And I was like, what? She goes, not good enough. 
And I was like, what? She goes, yeah. So you're always trying to prove that you're enough and you create these standards of perfectionism that could never be met. So then when you can't meet those and boom, you get to prove again, look, I'm not enough because I can't even hit these standards. And so again, that's like that trap that we put ourselves in to keep proving ourselves right about how I'm not enough. And so perfectionism actually masquerades as a deep core belief of I'm not enough, even though it might present as, you know, look at me and the high standards that I have and the level of excellence I operate from, but it's not. And so there are many times when I was stuck in that perfectionism trap that when I wouldn't hit the mark, when I wouldn't achieve what I set out to do, when I wouldn't, you know, hit these perfectionist levels, I would go into deep cycles of self beat up. Because then what is that also reinforced? Not enough piece of, you know what, <laughs> not worthy. And so it's like on keeps cycling these negative reinforcements of what I believed. And I think when you're in it, especially if you haven't done the personal development work or you don't have that self-awareness, that's just how you think life is, right? These cycles of just constantly being in torment, essentially, like that's how it felt for me. And then later on, when you start to do the healing work and the transformation work, and you start to have more self-awareness and to liberate yourself from whatever was created in your past childhood, you're like, wow, man, I was really mean to myself. Mm. Wow. These are a lot of these things that I've believed for so long that are not capital T truth. It was just these little T truths that I took on because of, again, those misperceptions of experiences and circumstances. And so, yeah, perfectionism, that got me for a long time. I mean, it, it was really the gateway to beat myself up constantly. And it's wild because I did it so much that one of my dear girlfriends, one day we were hanging out, this was like in my early thirties. And she goes, she just looks at me and she goes, Kwangi, can you please stop being such a tiger mom to yourself? And I was like, Ooh, wow. The fact that someone externally keeps hearing how mean I am mm -hmm. and she's Korean. So that's why she said the whole <laughs> tiger mom thing. But so she's also familiar. We both come from similar cultures, but I, it really struck me. And that's when I started being more mindful and present to how do I treat myself? I am being a tiger mom. I'm like super harsh and controlling and judgmental and just not loving. And that actually was one of the moments where it really took me on my journey of self-love. You know, what does that even mean? Everyone's talking about self-love and just love yourself. You just need to, you know, have more compassion or go buy yourself flowers or draw yourself a bath or take the day off or self-care. And to me, it's like, even those things didn't really shift how I related to myself. And so when I dove into this, it was really discovering what self-love truly means and mm -hmm. really embodying that for myself. And it was probably one of the most beautiful journeys of my lifetime is coming home to myself. Mm, so beautiful. And it's interesting when you do go through that realization of the way that you speak to yourself. And when you start healing from that, you hear somebody else speaking about themselves and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, you don't, you just don't realize how much we run ourselves down, how, how nasty we are to ourselves. And mm. And it's such a, a habit, isn't it? Yeah. 
Absolutely. And you don't see it until you see it. Right. Mm-hmm. And we just think that this is life. And look, when, when I, I created an entire self-love course and inside of it, the first thing was telling people, you know, this is stuff isn't taught in school and you were raised by parents who most likely didn't love themselves either. So now we're being indoctrinated into their consciousness, right? And what they believe. And if they're being hypercritical of us, especially in my culture, again, Chinese, they're very just hypercritical. You know, even God, I love my dad, but my my grandma was was dying in the hospital. And this was probably about four years ago. And I, I'm a grown woman. And he calls me, I fly out to San Francisco, he picks me up from the airport. We're in the elevator in the hospital going up to my grandma's floor. And he looks me up and down and just goes, looks like you gained some weight. And I was like, I looked my, at my body. I was like, yeah, Dan, I have. You know what it was? Oh, wow. I know he's not meaning to do it, to be critical or mean. He's not thinking like, how can I hurt her and be judgmental and be rude? It's just how my people are, right? My Chinese culture is. And so he's just doing what his parents did to him. And then with me, I noticed that I carried on my parents' voice, even when I left the home and which is that constant criticism and this, this like spotlight on every little thing that I do and making sure that it's perfect and of the highest standard. And, and if it's not, then being very judgmental and again, hypercritical of those things. So I carry on their voice until I decide to choose my own voice for myself and how I want to actually speak to myself. And so I don't blame my parents for anything. They've really, again, there's been this healing journey and this self-love journey and this consciousness evolution and my, you know, ascension essentially comes from this need to have these disempowering beliefs of self, these really disempowering behavioral patterns that I've had towards self in order for me to evolve and grow from them. And it wasn't easy because I was so accustomed to just being really mean to myself. Yeah. It just was. And yeah, yeah but the breakthroughs are tremendous when you can yeah. see the side. But to to your point, yeah, the moment you do, you do notice what other people, how hypercritical they can be of themselves. And the one thing I say to a lot of my friends to break that when I catch them, I'll say, don't talk about my friend like that. And then they're like, Oh, because <laughs> they don't even realize how yeah. mean they're to themselves. But then that's like a good pattern interrupt to get them to see what's happening, you know? Yeah. And it is so deeply held within us. We just don't even notice it. So going back to when you were 13, your parents divorced. How did you cope with that divorce? You know, I coped through... I really feel like I coped through seeking love and attention and validation from other people. That was number one. Again, my worth, I'm going to get teary It's like, you know, when you think about your little kid and what they had to go through, but I think it was just like, you know, if you're, you're, my mom was going through what she was going through when my parents split. And then my dad, you know, he left for a little while and I didn't see him for a couple of years. And so there was this like sadness. And so for me needing to fill that void of feeling loved in some way, I sought it externally. And it was like, okay, who can I get to like me? And I was this little social butterfly. And I, and I always went wide and not deep because if you really knew who I was and you really saw who I am, you wouldn't really like me. And so I was very surface with a lot of my friendships. And I also was deeply involved in dance. I started, I grew up as a dancer And so I think a lot of my going into flow state or disappearing was through movement 
And that was a coping mechanism. Fortunately, it didn't have any really disruptive patterns like, you know, coping with food or coping with defiant behaviors. I think it was really just diving deeper into dance and then also just trying to seek love and validation from the people around me. That was kind of how I coped. Yeah. And it's like you've grown up feeling lonely and abandoned. And then it is like another level of abandonment, isn't it? When parents divorce, it's, it really sort of throws us. And how, how do you think you were coping mentally as you went through high school? Well, look, again, I I bring up the Asian culture a lot just because it is very much a part of my identity and we're taught not to feel really not. I'm I can, I'm so in tune with my emotions now and I can tap right in, but we were told to shut them down. And so for me, I didn't really feel like, what does it mean? Feel your feelings. If you're sad, you're like, Ugh, no, get rid of that. What we're allowed to show it is, you know, good Chinese children is happiness and strength. That's what you demonstrate. I mean, as another example, and I'm just bringing up examples because I know that the nature of the show is like how I was raised and how that impacted you. But I remember I, when I was little, maybe I was, I'm guessing I was like maybe nine, eight, nine. And I had earned enough money to buy this slip and slide. And it's like this thing that you put out in your lawn and you put water on, you just slide on a piece of plastic really. And, but I bought it and I was so excited and I got into my bathing suit. I was at my grandma's, I run outside and I went down the cement stairs and I fell and hurt my ankle. And so I started crying. Well, my aunt, she came out and she goes, Oh, here we go again. Here's those crocodile tears. Mm. So I shut it down and went along with my day, continue to do life for the next two weeks. And my ankle really hurt. And so I finally went to my mom after two weeks and I was like, Hey, I, I don't know what's wrong. My, my ankle still hurts. And so she took me to the hospital, found out my ankle was fractured. Mm-hmm. So I was walking on a fractured foot for two weeks because I didn't want to show that I was weak or that I, you know, couldn't cry about it. It's just like, shut it down. So it wasn't even just coming from my parents. It's coming from my family, really my, even my extended family. So I really learned how to be good about shutting down my emotions and shutting down pain. So if it arose, stuff it Oh, here it is again, stuff it, (laughs) ignore it, disassociate from it. That was the coping mechanisms that I had that were obviously really unhealthy, but that's the way that I managed through, you know, my high school years and, and for a while after that as well. Yeah. And you look at that and say, well, that auntie and everybody in the family and all the generations, they've all done exactly the same thing, right? They, they see you crying and they can't deal with that emotion either. You know, it's like, you've got to close that down. We, we don't do that. We don't know how to handle it. And it's, it's so suffocating, isn't it? Like so suffocating. And so at what point did you realize when was the realization that I need to do something? I need to change something like the perfectionism, the stuffing down the emotions. Was there a a point that you remember or was it just a slow sort of journey? I think it was a slow journey. You know, I feel also very blessed on this. I grew up, I mean, I'm an Asian woman with my mom being an immigrant Chinese female doing personal development work. 
Like that's unheard of. Even one of my girlfriends, she's Vietnamese. She actually was born there, but she, one time I was talking to my mom and I was like, I love you. She goes, who was that? I was like, my mom, she goes, you say, I love you to your mom. And I went, yeah. So my mom, when my parents divorced, she started diving into her own healing work. And so I listened to Tony Robbins on tape in my house. She bought him off of an infomercial and his booming voice was in my home. So I'm also now starting to get a little bit of that conditioning in, right? Some of that those suggestions of what he's teaching. My mom started going to therapy. She would make vision boards. She would go to vision quests. She would go to drum circles. She was in like a women's group. And so while I didn't really know exactly what she was doing because she didn't really talk to me about it, it's in my field, right? I'm I'm witnessing something is happening and I'm picking this up. And I also really feel that it's part of, I had a friend, he's an astrologer and he read my chart and he's like, oh yeah, you're very much, I don't know what it was like Sagittarius in this chart, whatever, but it's about, it's really devoted to spiritual growth and also to be a teacher of it. So it makes perfect sense that as a kid, you know, I also got to have that exposure and I started seeking my own healing early on. I mean, probably in my, in my college time, I started, I studied psychology at UC Berkeley And so I started just understanding human behavior and why we do the things that we do. I was just fascinated with people, which is why I studied psych. But through that material, you start to really learn about yourself and how you start to pick up certain behavioral patterns and also how to shift them. And then after college, I moved to Los Angeles and I dove into landmark education. I was there for five years. And that was kind of a really big opening for me around all these, my own personal development. And then I just continued and you know, I'm in my forties now and I'm still constantly on the state of growth and evolution. And now, you know, teaching it as well. Once mm-hmm. I've, I feel like I've gotten to a certain point and I've mastered it. It's like, great. Now that the, you know, the student becomes a teacher. And so that's kind of been, I don't know if there was like that one moment, but yeah, it has definitely been a slow roll mm. and a constant, still going. <laughs> yeah. And And you were lucky that your mum went down that path, right? Because like you say, it just starts appearing in your world. You're actually being slowly opened up to those messages, which is super. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day Sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Cool. So you talked about self-love before, and, and I think it is that thing where, you know, self-love is such a, 
a term, isn't it? We hear it so much and you just have to love yourself and you just have to love yourself. And I think it's very confusing for a lot of people because they don't even know what, what that means. Like it's, it's like, what does that mean? You know, so, so self-love, can you explain the pillars of self-love? Absolutely. So for me, my journey, what I realized is it's not so much the doing self-love is not about doing it's how you're being the relationship that you have with yourself. How are you treating yourself? And over the course of my own self-love journey, I kind of distilled it down to eight pillars of self-love. That's how it makes sense. I'm a very structured person. So I was like, here's, here's the buckets. And the eight pillars of self-love are self-acceptance, self-compassion, self-forgiveness, self-appreciation, self-trust, self-respect, self-permission, and receiving, which is like learning just to be, feel worthy of receiving, right? And each one of those, majority of them were pretty difficult. Some were a little bit easier to start, but you know, the toughest was self-acceptance, self-compassion, and receiving, and even self-trust. I really like had a hard time just trusting in myself and my decisions because also as a kid, you're constantly being told what to do. So eventually it's like, well, wait, I don't know what I should do. Someone tell me what I'm supposed to do. So you lose that ability to trust yourself making decisions. But the self-acceptance piece versus self-judgment was really difficult because I could always find things that I couldn't accept about or love about myself. And then the self-compassion because I was a jerk to myself all the time. And I had that like constant mean girl voice happening. That took a lot of practice to reroute the way I spoke to myself and about myself from a place of compassion versus judgment and criticism. And then receiving was also very difficult because I was also taught to like give, you know, take care of everybody else around you, especially as the baby in the family. We we are, we're taught to really just make sure everybody else's needs are, are cared for, you know, and to look out for people. And so for me, when it came to receiving or even asking for what I want, I was never trained to do that. I was never asked what do you want? Is I was like, here's what you want. And you're being told that. So receiving, especially not feeling worthy of it. I pushed a lot of things away in my life that probably would have been very good for me to just receive and to be grateful for, but that was really hard. And I almost even broke down a friendship because I couldn't receive a gift from a friend and got super weird and awkward. And then and the joy that she had in giving got completely annihilated by my inability to receive. And it was a weird breakdown. We we repaired it, but still, yeah, that's where it went. And so those have been kind of the biggest ones, but those are the eight pillars. I would say if you can you know, really get a handle on one, you're in, you're in a lot better shape than you were before. But if you can really start to integrate all of them, life just looks and feels so different when you can be in a space of you know, compassion, forgiveness, acceptance, appreciation of who you are, having self-respect, having self-trust. And again, giving yourself permission and self-permission is like giving yourself permission for what you want without waiting or asking someone else. And then again, that final one of, of receiving is huge. Yeah. That receiving one, I think I've struggled with that one my whole life and not even realized it, right? Like I, I didn't realize it until you know, more recently in my life, that that was a thing that I I struggled with. And yeah, even if somebody gave me a compliment throughout my life, I'd be like, oh, don't say that. That's, you know, I just couldn't receive anything, words, and also just 
wanting to be the person that gave, not receiving. What's a, a step towards that? What's the mindset around receiving? You know, one of the things is really a lot of the shifts for people is telling yourself that it's safe to fill in the blank. If something feels unfamiliar, if it's something we're not accustomed to, it then becomes recorded by the brain as that's not safe because it's not what you know, right? And then we go into these modes of trying to protect ourselves if something doesn't feel safe. And so if something's unfamiliar, like receiving, the brain is going to go, not safe, not safe, not safe. So the first thing I step into many times when I notice that I'm going into these modes where I want to self-protect or to shut down or to push away is I tell myself, you know, it's safe to fill in the blank. So it's like, you know, it's safe to receive and worthy of receiving. I'll like, I have a practice where this, this like one of the self-compassion practices that I teach in the training is, you know, putting my hands on my heart immediately when I notice that I'm in a state of fight flight or if I'm in a state of hypercriticism or judgment or whatever that might be. And I put my hands on my heart to remember to get it back into my body and stop spinning in my head. And then once I get into my body and I, I can, I put my hands here to remind me of that, I'll just do a calming breath. So it's like, if you have double the exhalation of the inhalation, it'll start to put you in your parasympathetic nervous system. So if you breathe in for four, exhale for eight, or breathe in for two, exhale for four, breathe in for three, exhale for six. So it's just double the exhalation. And then once I feel myself calm, then I'll start to affirm myself. What do, what does my little girl actually need to hear? What do I need to hear in this moment that will have me feel safe again? And so that's one of the ways, one, when I'm in the state of receiving, and if I notice myself, this was in the beginning when it was really hard, I'm like, okay. And I'd be like, Stephanie, it's safe to receive. You are so worthy of receiving. It's okay. You are safe. And so I will just like affirm that. And then when I feel good again, then it's like, okay, be in a state of receivership. Something that I learn, even when, <laughs> and I used to work at a treatment center with women with BPD and bipolar and other mood disorders. And they also had, like, I really got to ground this in for them. And I would say, if anybody ever compliments you or acknowledges you, you can only say two, maybe three things. And the two things you could say is thank you. Thank you. And if it's three, it could be thank you and their name, but that is it. Do not say anything else. And I go, and then affirm, yes, I am in your mind. So if somebody does something beautiful, right? It's just like, you're like, thank you. And then in your mind, think, yes, I am quietly to yourself. So now you're starting to rewire this pattern of, let's just like a little bit of receiving, right? If you want to step it up a little bit, then start to really get connected to what is it that I want? What is it that I desire? Like really, if I didn't have these blocks or this weirdness, this funky feeling, what do I really want? And for some people, what I observe is they'll tell you what you, they don't want. That's what's fascinating. They'll be like, I'll ask, what do you want? And they're like, well, I don't want, you know, to be single. I don't want to be in debt or I don't want to, you know, be in this job anymore. I don't, it's like, okay, well then actually what do you want? But we're so wired for the negative and don't want that people immediately go there. And that's why you keep getting more of what you don't want because your focus and attention is there. But if we shifted it and said, what do you want? And get really clear without boundaries and then having the gumption to go ask for it. And then having even more gumption to be willing to receive it. And so now again, we're rewiring in new patterns and behavior, right? So those are like a few things that I did to really start to open myself to receiving. And also 
The mind is a very beautiful machine that works in our favor if we know how to work it. And if we, whatever we see in our mind, it doesn't know whether it's happened in real life or just in our imagination, right? So what I used to also do too was to visualize seeing myself receiving and being excited and joyful about it because that's actually the gift you're giving to the giver, right? Is to be a good, a joyful receiver. Cause then they're like, oh, they're so excited to give to you. And you're so excited to receive. I was like, wow, that's the gift you can give to somebody who's giving to you is just to be a joyful receiver. So I really committed to like, I'm going to be a joyful receiver. So I would visualize myself receiving from different people or things, find stuff in the mail and I get excited. Like I would just visualize all this because the more I kept seeing it in my mind and feeling comfortable and excited about it, now I'm training myself to go, mm, see, this is familiar now. Remember it's safe because it's familiar. What's not familiar is what's unsafe, right? That's what it's it's recorded in the mind as. And so now I'm building this familiarity of receiving and then it's fun and then it's joyful. And then when someone did give to me, it didn't feel so awkward and weird anymore. Mm-hmm. So those are a lot of different practices, but those were many of the ones that I used and more on how to really crack myself even further open to receive and to feel comfortable with it and to truly actually become a joyful receiver, which is like the best thing ever. <laughs> Oh my gosh, everything you just said. I mean, it's just amazing. I love all of that. And even just when you said two words, thank you, I just felt like crying because, you know, it's just so simple. It's so simple, isn't it, to say thank you. But I think for so many women, we just, we can't even do that. We don't even know how to do that for most of our lives, just to receive and say thank you. And, oh, it's just so powerful. It's so powerful. So being stuck often includes seeing ourselves as a victim. How can we turn that victim mentality around? Yeah, so I want to say one more thing before I switch into that. Here's next level receiving on the acknowledgements and compliments. Not only do you say thank you, Dawn, you go, thank you for noticing. For some people, they're like, I can say that like thank you for noticing because that means that you're saying oh I know right but yeah I love that that's what people I'm like get out of your comfort zone like thank you for noticing you know but that's a little next level we'll start with thank you and then (laughs) you're in a good spot so to get out of this victim consciousness look the biggest key I find in personal growth is to take personal responsibility for yourself for how your perceptions are about things in life and for your actions and the outcomes you create. I think so often we feel like the world is happening at us and to us, and we have no control, victim, victim, victim. And when you step into your power and go, actually, if I am the creator of my reality, of literally everything, even the crap that shows up, I created that, or I attracted that, that puts you back in your power. And when so when you're in personal responsibility and you're not in the state of blaming, or resisting, you're literally in a place of acceptance and knowing, okay, if I created that, that means I can create something else too, right? Or we're not in the state of blame and we we take it on. Like that was really, I think that's really difficult for a lot of people because we're in such a blame culture and we don't want to take responsibility and we want it to be someone else's fault or some other reason outside of us for why life we're experiencing the way it is that we don't want is happening the way it is. It's just easier, right? To 
shirk responsibility and, and put it out on everything else or even on the universe or the divine, whatever it is that we're saying, like, not me, everybody else or everything else. And to actually have that moment to stand, you know, solid on your own two feet and saying, it's me. I am the reason why I am the cause and everything around me is the effect. Then it really takes that victim consciousness away and puts us back into our power. Even if it might be hard to look at because we're like, did I really cause that to happen? Or did I really attract that in? It's not what I want. It's like, well, maybe you did because it's part of what you needed to call in to have this next moment of growth for you. Mm. And you needed that for that. So yeah, you called it in because you're committed to your growth and that's what your soul is meant to do on this planet. Or I did this thing, you know, that wasn't my best self. And instead of blaming someone else for, oh, they made me do that because they did this. And so blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, I chose that reaction, you know, or actually maybe my unconscious reacted, but now I can choose a more conscious response. And how do I go repair and clean that up instead of staying in a state of blame of another person? Because sometimes, look, we have triggers and trauma responses that we take on that are just there to protect us. And when we can actually be in a state of self-awareness to observe what we're doing and how we're being, and then to take responsibility for that, and that just puts you back into your power and releases you from being a victim. Yeah. And I just like to point out for people listening I think people get a little bit upset with the idea of a victim mentality. I think there's a difference between actually being a victim in terms of people who've suffered in trauma and yes, that that's being a victim, but it's 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 how that perpetuates through the rest of your life and how you actually take control of your life and move on from that, isn't it? Instead of staying in that stuck place, I guess. Absolutely. I think it's more of a consciousness than it is the actual, like what happened to you, right? It's a consciousness that we can stay in of things are unfair. I can't change things. It's they did it. And this is the reason why I have this or don't have this. That's more of what I mean by like the victim. It's more the consciousness. Yeah. So thank you for pointing out that distinction. Yeah, no, I've been tripped up myself before and I'm like, oh no, there's two different things here. And a large part of your work is helping people to integrate stuck identities. Can you explain what a stuck identity is and how how does integrating stuck identities help us? Yep. So in our company, we, you know, we train people in our tools, the rapid rewire method. And one of the tools that we have is to integrate a stuck identity. As you asked, what is a stuck identity? Well, let's call it a coping mechanism that might be more easier for people to understand. But we are always moving in and out of identities all the time. The identity is a a role, a perspective we take on to achieve a specific goal that we have. And it's good to move in and out of identities all the time. Like right now, you're in the identity of podcaster, like podcast host, right? But when you're done talking to me, And if you go out with your friends, you don't want to be podcast host, you know, asking all these questions and making sure the sound's perfect. You want to be a good friend, just like you might go into the identity of, you know, businesswoman at some point once you might be working in the back end on certain things or into the role of daughter or sister or driver. When you're driving the car too, you don't want to be podcast host, right? You want to be present and you're in the identity of a driver. You want to get yourself, you're taking on the perspective to get achieve a goal, to get yourself safely to your next destination. And so we're moving in and out of identities all the time. And yet sometimes if they get stuck, so identities aren't a problem, it's stuck identities that become an issue. 
as an example, let's say you're open, you're in the identity of an open person, right? And you're in love with somebody and you feel so amazing and you just feel like Snow White whistling and all the animals are flying at you because you're in love. And then one day your partner comes home and says, I met someone else. I don't love you anymore. And I'm leaving. Most likely to protect yourself from that pain, you'll go into a different type of identity. Let's just guess like Dawn, what identity do you think you might go into to protect yourself from the pain of a rejection or breakup? Just, just a victim, I suppose. Yeah. A victim could also be like, you know, you're, you, you shut yourself off. You close yourself down. Mm. Like, well, I'm gonna close my heart or be a non-trusting person identity, a non-trusting identity. We just call it person that equals identity. So now you're in the identity of, you know, victim or non-trusting closed. And that's going to work for you because now you won't get hurt anymore. Right. Mm. Can't hurt me because I'm closed and I don't trust. So I push you away, I push everyone away. However, if now you're trying to achieve the goal of being in a relationship, because that's what many people deeply desire, right? To be in a romantic relationship, but I'm stuck in the identity of a closed person or a non-trusting person. What is that going to do for trying to achieve the goal of a really healthy, loving relationship? And then even if you were to say to manifest it or or attract it in, you're going to have all these funky behaviors that you do to stay self-protected and to not trust and that could then eventually push that relationship out, even if you called it in. And so again, it's not bad to be distrusting or to be closed because sometimes you actually need to in certain situations, but if you're stuck there because you're so afraid of getting hurt, it's going to wreak havoc on relationships if that's actually what you want now moving forward. And so, you know, even when I see people, a lot of entrepreneurs, because I'm in this space, it's like, you know, the identity of an insecure person or a powerless person. There's a lot of identities that I see entrepreneurs go into, right? That actually block them from the very thing that they want, which let's just call it success. And their success is impact or income in some way. And so when we get stuck in those identities, it becomes a problem. Have you ever seen that where it's like, oh, I want to put my, I know I need to put myself on Instagram or put myself, but I don't want to be seen. They're mm-hmm. in that identity of like an insecure person or an invisible person, whatever you want to call it. And then it doesn't matter where you're like schedule it in to go live or create an accountability with a friend to go live. You're like, ah, you just continue to sabotage it. Mm -hmm. And so when we get stuck in these disserving identities, identities that don't move us towards our goals, it can really become a problem, a block to the desires of our heart or the intentions that we set for ourselves that we want to achieve. And so when you integrate it, we're not saying that identity is bad. You just don't want to get stuck in it. When we integrate it through our work, like with one of our tools, we integrate maybe two identities of an open person and the closed person. It makes it whole again. So now you're able to choose. In this situation that I'm in right now, do I want to be an open person or a closed person? And you can interweave and move in and out of these identities, but you're not actually stuck there anymore. So sometimes in relationship, maybe you're like, I'm going to close right now or I can stay open but you're back at choice. And what I see when I observe people around me and even just through conversations, you can hear when someone's stuck in a particular identity where that is their constant perspective around a thing or around trying to achieve a goal. And they really struggle because they're in an identity that it's disturbing and is actually blocking them from what they actually want. Mm. Oh my goodness, that makes so much sense. Stephanie, you're the co-creator of the Rapid Rewire Method. Can you explain what is the Rapid Rewire Method? 
Yeah. So I co-founded the company. I didn't create the tools. So how I came to these tools, essentially, you know, I was a subconscious rewiring coach for 14 years, as you mentioned at the top. I don't really work with people anymore. I'm really just building this company, Rapid Rewire Method. But I got pregnant at 43 without trying. I really desired to be a mom and was on cloud nine when I got pregnant. And then at nine and a half weeks, I lost the baby. Mm-hmm. And I went into a pretty dark place, as you can imagine, and one that I couldn't get myself out of, even with all the training and the tools that I had over those 14 years, even with an amazing community of coaches, healers, energy workers, shamans, couldn't help me. And in fact, the grief, which I know there's no timeline for grieving. So it's not like, girl, you've been you know grieving for two months. You should be done. I know that it, it's its own animal that moves and it's in how it needs to, to process But after five months post-miscarriage, I still had days where I couldn't function. So it was getting worse where I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't, every time I would open up social media, someone I knew was announcing that they were pregnant in 2021. It's like all those COVID babies started just coming through. And so now I can't look at social media because it was super triggering. And then if I would go outside, at times I would see someone holding a baby or I just see a baby at the park. And all of a sudden it's like, I would become dysregulated. So now I'm going, can I not go outside anymore either? Mm -hmm. And so when my world was closing down on me, you know, I knew I needed help. And I actually got introduced to Wesley, my co-founder of the Rapid Rewire Method. And in one session, he processed the trauma of the miscarriage, drained the emotional charge of the grief, such that I couldn't even feel it after 60 minutes. It was literally gone out of my body. I was searching for it. Now, prior to that, I was a snotty mess, crying, snotting all over myself when we got started. And then after 60 minutes, I was like, I would think about the miscarriage. I would see the scenes of the, you know, what happened and literally could not connect to sadness or grief. It was gone because it had been integrated. And so I was like, what did she do to me? And can we keep doing more? And so we kept working together. And at week seven, I literally heard the divine command, you're meant to bring these tools into the world. And so I joined forces with Wesley. He is a master trainer of trainers of these tools. There's only 10 of them that exist in the world. And we joined forces and we started Rapid Rewire Method. And we are training people in these tools that can quickly dissolve or integrate any emotional turmoil that you might be stuck around. So like any sadness, grief, insecurity, hopelessness, powerlessness, feelings of rejection, loneliness, any emotional turmoil that people are stuck in, we can integrate that. We can dissolve any problems, limiting beliefs, inner barriers to goals, deserving identities. We can integrate those and we can even, you know, integrate trauma in 60 minutes or less, sometimes as quick as 20 minutes. I've seen it with my own eyes. It's wild. Yeah. And so we're on a mission to get these tools into the hands of the masses to really be able to quickly liberate themselves from those very things I just mentioned. And you can use the same exact tools. They're just in a script. So it's like, if you can follow a recipe, one, two, three, four. If I handed you a script right now, Dawn, and you just read it through, and I told you that maybe I was feeling frustrated around a certain issue, you could dissolve that frustration in probably 30 minutes or less. If it's a huge, huge, huge issue, it might take 45 minutes, depends. But yeah, we've seen some pretty extraordinary results utilizing our tools to really help people move through their challenges quickly and integratively. And, you know, right now, the current consciousness of personal development and healing from my vantage point and just from talking to people is it has to take time to heal. You only find tools to cope or you have to do a practice 
every single day over and over again for the change to happen, whether you're journaling, doing breath work, doing your affirmations, or, you know, listening to your hypnosis recordings. It's like constant every day in order for a shift to hopefully change. And we're of the mindset with, you know, our company of, well, what if you work with the mind, emotions, and body efficiently to integrate something so it no longer becomes a problem? And what if we can do it in 60 minutes or less? So we're kind of coming in to disrupt what's currently the consciousness of the personal development field and really wanting to help people quickly because, you know, the world is burning down a bit. And a lot of people are struggling and suffering. Suicide rates are higher than ever. Prescriptions for anti-anxiety, anti-depression are higher than ever. And I think people really need integrative solutions, but ones that also work quickly so that they're not just sitting on a therapy couch for years, hoping that something can shift because people do need true help. So that's our stance. And that's kind of the work that we do. Oh my gosh, it sounds absolutely amazing. My goodness. And I saw that you said that you believe that the rapid rewire method will help with global healing and transformation. I mean, this is the sort of thing that when it's out there and used widely, you can see that that is totally possible, right? Yeah. And the thing is, is because they're so straightforward, they're really simple processes. They're not complex. And we've had so many people come through our doors in our trainings. Some are coaches, practitioners, healers, but many are not. We've had real estate agents, you know, a nurse in pediatric oncology, estheticians to a lot of founders and entrepreneurs, and they come in and they get handed these scripts for the very first time. And they work with another person, a stranger who's also a student and literally can shift them quickly and integratively that they're like, wait, how did I just do that? So if people learn these tools, not only can every single process, you can use it as self-work. So now we have the ability to be empowered to help ourselves out of stuckness, struggle, limitations, anytime we need to. We don't have to try to run and find the perfect practitioner to help us, right? You actually will have a pathway to help yourself. But what's neat is when you learn them, you can help anyone around you. And so that's why we we also get excited, you know, to get them in the hands of a coach or a practitioner because they're working with clients in that capacity. However, folks who are non-practitioners, you know, I had a woman, Denise, wild story. We did a, we did a free masterclass sharing about our tools. And then we did a process, a group process. And we asked for shares and she comes on, she goes, hi, my name's Denise. I'm laying in a hospital bed right now. And we're like, what? She goes, something told me to be on this call. And I'm so glad that I did because I was laying here feeling angry because she had to have emergency surgery. She was getting her appendix removed. She goes, but now I feel after the process, hopeful and grateful for good doctors. So now she got to go in her surgery, not feeling angry and fearful, but feeling hopeful and grateful. And so I messaged her the next day. When we heard that, we're like, what? So I messaged her the next day and she's like, I'm coming to the training. She came to the training and she and I got paired up in the first process. And she shared with me, she goes, you know, my son's being discharged from rehab this weekend. And I actually feel that I am in, I'm capable now of helping him versus enabling him because she has these tools, right? She knows exactly. She doesn't have to listen to all the drugs. She can literally just help. She has a clear pathway to help her son or if a neighbor came or a coworker or somebody, anyone can learn these and really use them with great effectiveness to again, liberate themselves or another person. Wow. So it's pretty exciting. And I, I feel like just when it reaches its critical mass and enough people have these, tools in their hands, it will contribute to global peace and healing. 
Mm, yeah, absolutely. That is so exciting. So if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, I need to get my hands on these tools, what what can they do? Yeah, well, they can go to our website, rapidrewiremethod.com. We do have a free experience that people can download. If you just go to rapidrewiremethod.com on our homepage, we have a freebie. You can also go to rapidrewiremethod.com forward slash alternator and listen to a group demo that we did. Use a problem that you have and literally just go through the process and experience a shift. So that's how people can find out more about our work, our trainings, and then even to have a direct experience of one of our tools, you can download the freebie on our website. Mm, Okay. Well, I will put all the links to to the website in the show notes. So please go and check that out because this sounds really incredible. Stephanie, we are all souls here on earth. Why do you believe we're here? What's our purpose? To grow and evolve. Yeah. That's why we're here. I think everything that's given to us on this planet is to really to support our soul in its evolution. So that's what I believe. And I feel I keep testing my theory and I'm like, seems right. Yeah. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for sharing your own story today and for everything that you're doing. I love the way you explain everything. Everything is so clear and it's been said in ways that I haven't quite heard before. And I love that because little bells go off and I'm like, oh, wow, I love I love the way you explain things. So thank you so much for being here and for sharing everything and for all the work you're doing and helping people transform their lives. Yeah. Thank you, Don. And thank you for your work. And thank you for this podcast. I know it's a big deal to produce a podcast and the fact that you're you know, doing this from your heart and sharing this with people to support them in their own soul's journey is remarkable. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at my big love project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.